I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 in just a minute here. We're going to thank God for the word. What a great time of worship on a Wednesday night. Amen. I don't know about you, but I need my booster in the middle of the week to be with the people of God in the house of God and just enjoy the, enjoy the presence of God. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we pray tonight that as we come to the word that our hearts have been prepared in worship. Father, we know that worship and the word work together. So, Father, have we trust that you've prepared good ground in our hearts to drive the truth of your word deep into our hearts, that the word would produce fruit in us, that it would change us from the inside out, that you would put it in the reservoir and the cistern of our hearts, that we would be able to bring it up in timely seasons to speak the word of truth. So, Father, do that tonight. Put all of these principles deep in our heart. Father, quicken us by the Holy Spirit and allow us to have your truth on our lips in a generation that needs light because they're in darkness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now we've covered all of this up to this point. Verse 7 is our new material. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. One more time with your eyes closed. Listen to verse 7. Let it get in your heart. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you're a wise guy. Pastor Mike, you're a wise guy. We've been accused of that before. So this says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And it might seem like it's kind of just an inconsequential, small little thing that the word points out to us. There's so much in there. We've talked about not leaning on our own understanding. Remember when we covered that, lean not on your own understanding in verse 5. Now in verse 7, we're told not to be wise in your own eyes. So don't lean on your, on your own understanding, and don't be wise in your own eyes. You might look at that and say, well, that, that's kind of the same. And, you know, being wise in your eyes, well, if, you, if you're like that, then you're going to lean on your own understanding. And you might say, well, that's the same thing, Pastor. Yes and no. Certainly those who are wise in their own eyes lean on their own understanding. But it's much worse than that. Verse 7 is really uh, exposing a deeper issue here uh, because the person who's wise in their own eyes allows themselves to be swallowed up by their own pride. You see, if you lean on your own understanding once in a while, sometimes by default we do that, and sometimes we need to tap in to what God's placed in our hearts and have wisdom. But listen, to be wise in your own eyes is never a good thing. If you're wise in your own eyes, you've been swallowed up by your own pride. And the person who's swallowed up in their own pride now stands completely on their own wisdom, and they have no tolerance for any other input from God or anybody else. We've all seen people in our generation that are wise in their own eyes. They think more of themselves than they ought. They think their intellect is incredible and that everyone should sit at their feet and glean from their wisdom. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not paying attention close enough because we have people in our world that want to be God and they want to lord over humanity and they want to be worshipped. And being wise in their own eyes is their first mistake. Now, there again, the word is warning us of this 
so that we don't fall prey to it because it's a pitfall. Because the person who's swallowed up by their own pride now has no tolerance for anybody else's opinion or input or perspective. And that's a dangerous place to be. When you become the all-knowing know-it-all, you're in trouble. And there again, we could all think of people that we could say, yeah, and, and maybe, maybe at times we were like that, but we had to have all the answers or no one was going to respect us, and we didn't tolerate anybody else's input because we knew what to do, and uh, this is a dangerous place to be when you don't accept input from anyone else, especially God. The person who is wise in their own eyes believes nonsensical things like, all the answers to life can be found within themselves. Have you heard the, the humanistic New Age philosophy? Oh, all the answers are within. Look within yourself. Well, I looked in there, and you know what I found? <laughs> a sinner who needed a savior, who didn't know his right hand from his left. Come on. Come on, there's a few saved people over here. The rest of you are looking at me. Look within yourself. You know, this ain't Star Wars. I, I could hear Yoda saying that. that. That's the movies. That's science fiction. That's not real life. They believe nonsensical things like the truth is within and all this stuff. No, it's not. Those who are wise in their own eyes think that they alone are able to define what truth is. And they say things, well, I'm living my own truth. Come on, Wednesday night. We've all heard it. We could probably name names. We could probably, well, I'm just living my own truth. Look, there's one truth. God is truth, and the truth is the truth. There's not my truth and your truth and, and this guy's truth. There's the truth. If I grab this chair over here, and let's just agree, you know, men, we, we're not good at colors, but the ladies would tell us that this chair is teal. Right, lady? Teal. I'm not sure what teal is. To me, it's bluish green. But if, if, this, if this chair is teal, and I, and I say, well, to me, it's red, and I'm sincere, oh, it's red. I'm sincerely wrong, it's not red. It'll never be red. I mean, it's teal. Well, I'm just living my truth. Well, listen, God is the source of truth. There is one truth. There is the truth. And then there's things that aren't true. You can't both be right. If I say red, you say teal. We can't both be right. Oh, look within yourself and find the truth. The person who's wise in their own eyes believes that they're so smart that they can categorically reject God's wisdom and stand on what they call science or intellectualism or enlightened humanistic philosophy. They've got all these new age terms and words and things, and, and they think, well, we don't need God. We, we're going to look within ourselves and define truth, and then we're going to live by science. I got news for you. Science is evolving because we're just learning the truth about what God did when he designed the heavens and the earth, amen? You know, years ago, well, medical science, and we believe in science, and okay, you know, a hundred and something years ago, they were putting leeches on people to suck the blood out of them because they thought that's what, hello? We're learning about science. We're catching up to God's truth. But the truth is, we can't stand on that because we, we're not infinite. We're not all-knowing. We don't understand the beginning from the end. We're just scratching the surface of what God knows. 
The person who is wise in their own eyes, lastly, is dangerously deceived. Let's talk about deception a little bit here tonight on Wednesday night. Deception tricks the deceived into accepting lies in place of the truth. Do you know our generation has accepted lies in place of the truth? They've, our generation has categorically rejected the God of the Bible, the authenticity of Scripture, the personhood of Jesus, and they've replaced it with lies. Deception tricks the deceived into believing lies, to exchanging the truth for lies, as Roman talks about. Deception provokes the deceived to reject God's wisdom and to replace it with their own idolatrous opinions. Welcome to Wednesday night. When my opinion contradicts God's word and I say, well, I'm going with my opinion, my opinion has now become an idol that I worship. It's an idolatrous opinion. Why? Because it, it directly opposes the truth of God. And, and we've got a lot of opinions in our generation. And it's deception. Deception always makes its victim look like the worst of fools. Did you ever look back on your life in places that you were deceived and think, how in the world did I believe that? Come on, don't look so holy on me now. We've all believed things like, man, I was just positive. I was sure. I knew that I knew that I knew. I was so sincere, but I was sincerely wrong and completely deceived. Oh, you know, it, it, it felt good. It felt right. I just knew it in my heart, in my gut. <laughs> well... My gut's been wrong more times than not, but God has never let me down. Deception makes the deceived the worst of fools. Psalm 50, 1 through 3 says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Did you hear that? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have, they have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not one. Wow. That's quite an indictment against mankind. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And, and look what it says. They've become corrupt. They've done abominable iniquity. God looks down and he's like, is anybody doing it right? And there's not one person who's doing it right. And that's a picture of the downward spiral that takes place when man rejects God. Psalm 51 through 3, excuse me, write that down and study it. Because it shows the downward spiral. When man rejects God, everything comes unglued. And then what? He's overtaken by iniquity. We're going we're to just take a look at this, at the downward spiral in Psalm 50. Notice what immediately happens. It says, the fool in his heart says there is no God. They are corrupt. Say corrupt. When man rejects God, immediately that gives way to corruption. Why? Because we all have a fallen nature. If we were born with a sin nature, so what seems right to us, it, it, to our nature, is, is not necessarily right. It's usually wrong. You ever notice the closer you get to God, the, the deeper you get into his word, uh, he untwists all the twisted things that we used to believe and, and the corruption that we used to give ourselves over to, and then there's truth there, and, and we become right in his eyes. But the fallen nature that all of us have, 
will bring us to the place of corruption. And then we'll express that corruption uh, in our bodies and with our thoughts and with our lips. So the downward spiral starts with rejecting God. It gives way to corruption. Then number two, he then plunges into the depths of iniquity. So the man who rejects God becomes corrupt. And then what does it say here? He has done abominable iniquity. Iniquity is, is a word that's translated from the Hebrew word avon. I could pronounce it avon if that would. Isn't that like a makeup company or something? Yeah, that's the devil. So we're just. <laughs> iniquity is translated from the Hebrew word avon. It means to bend, to twist, or distort. Yuck, huh? So the person who's corrupt and rejects God plunges into iniquity. Why? Because he doesn't see what God sees now through the Holy Spirit. He, he filters everything through his corrupt, fallen nature, and he bends, and he twists, and he distorts all the things of God. Iniquity is bending, twisting, and distorting God's law, God's word, and there are there are different depths and degrees of how, uh, you know, we can plunge into that. But the more humanity rejects God, the more they be begin to believe and express crazy things. Can, can we agree tonight that if you look in our culture right now, that we in the last few years have gone completely crazy? And some of you aren't shaking your head and you're scaring the heck out of me. We can't tell what a boy is, what a girl is, who should be on what team, who should go in what bathroom. We, 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 can't, we can't agree on anything anymore. It's, I mean, if you would have, 50 years ago, no, everybody would have been like, what? Now people are like, oh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that sounds good. Why, why are people so open to being deceived? Because they've walked away from God and they've walked away from his word and they've walked away from his precepts and they, they, they are being deceived and they exchange the truth for a lie and now they believe anything. The person who rejects God falls into corruption and plunges into iniquity. When man rejects God, he defaults to his own wisdom and the wisdom of men clashes with the truth of God's word. And then what, what happens? Well, either when that clash happens, either I'm going to submit to God's word and say, yeah, I was wrong. You were right, God. I, I'm going to believe what you say. Or we're going to now twist and conform what used to be true to our own image. They're again making an idol. And that's what we're seeing in our culture right now, that we're, we're redefining everything. The bedrock that held us together is now everything's up for grabs. This is not just a problem among non-believers. The Bible tells us in the last days that this will also affect the church. Listen to 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Preach the word, Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Convict rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come, here it is, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Why? Because they're corrupt, because they plunge into iniquity, because they've exchanged the truth for a lie. According to their own desires, they have itching ears. They will heap upon themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. There's the Apostle Paul forecasting exactly what we're seeing with our eyes in our generation. It's upon us. You say, is there any hope, G is there any hope, Pastor? Jesus is the hope, amen. 
while I believe it's dark now, I believe that we are on the precipice of revival. I believe that God is going to save the lost and open blind eyes. Listen, you can only push the pendulum so far before people go, are you kidding me? Even the lost in our generation at this point are going, are you kidding me? Somebody, I was just talking to somebody today, and someone that doesn't even know the Lord says, all the stuff that's going on in our world today, that, that can't just be a coincidence. That's got to be the devil, right? Even unbelievers are like, this, this is crazy. We're past being cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs at this point. You know, the devil always overplays his hand. So hope in the Lord, amen, and hope for revival and pray that blind eyes are opened, amen. That's our prayer tonight, Lord Jesus. So the third part of the downward spiral here is eventually uh, the person becomes unable to do anything good in the sight of God. When we reject God, when we give ourselves over to corruption, when we take that downward plunge and uh, we exchange the, the truth for a lie, all of a sudden everything we do is not pleasing to God. Uh, check out what it says here in Psalm 50, verse 3. Each one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Ouch. Man's rejecting of God's wisdom for his own wisdom eventually leaves him so corrupt that everything he does, even if it looks good on paper, becomes self-serving, driven by pride and lust, and none of it pleases God. Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquity, like the wind, has taken us away. People do good works to feel good about themselves. And they think, well, it's good. God's got to be pleased with it. But usually when you dig into the good works that we do to justify our own existence, it's usually rooted in wrong motives. You know, you can do right things with the wrong motive, and there's no reward for it. Well, I was very loving, but you did it to, to draw attention to yourself. Well, I was very generous, but you let everybody know how generous you were. Right? Look at me, look at me. God says, you got your reward. People do all kinds of things. They give to the poor. They build homes for the homeless. They give large sums of money to charity. They help the sick. They help the hurting. I knew a guy who gave like uh, almost six figures to an animal shelter to help the puppies. See, you're a bunch of suckers. Oh. Yeah, I love the puppies too. But listen, the guy didn't know the Lord. He didn't have the right heart. He wanted his name on a plaque, and he got his reward. You see, we can do all these things, give, give money to this and money to that, and let's raise funds to save the planet because God lost control of it, and man has to save it now. Let's do it in our own name. Let's not acknowledge God. And that all becomes dead works, like Isaiah says, filthy rags. And there's no eternal reward for those things. Why? Because the motive is wrong. And it's done to glorify humanism and humanity, not done humbly to glorify God. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, serves as a warning to the crowd who would do works like this to justify themselves or to display spirituality. Matthew 7, 21 is a warning to the religious crowd. Listen to what it says here. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, say many. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done wondrous miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. Ouch. An eternal ouch. But Lord, I did all these things. And you know, if you look at the things they did, they weren't, it wasn't lightweight stuff. They cast out demons. They prophesied. That's a spiritual gift in action. They did miracles in Jesus' name. God's speaking to the religious crowd here. And all of these things should be, you know, kind of a wake-up call to us that People do things to, to feel good about themselves or to feel spiritual, uh, to pad their spiritual resumes, but have not surrendered themselves to Jesus and have no personal relationship with him. And that's a dangerous place to be, to be wise in your own eyes, to do works to justify yourself and to feel good about yourself, but doing it in a way that it doesn't glorify God and it doesn't acknowledge Jesus the bottom line will always be this. Does Jesus know your name? Does Jesus know us? Or have we hid behind our good works to cover up the fact that we don't have a relationship with him? Two things will keep us safe from this. Number one, never allowing ourselves to become impressed with our own wisdom. Once in a while I say something and I'm like, wow, that made sense. That was pretty cool. I'm going to write that down. Did you ever, maybe in an argument, you came up with a good point? You almost won an argument with your wife? You were this close? That was good. Even she said it was good, and then she just whipped me. Never allow yourself to become so impressed with your own wisdom. Oh, I'm so smart. I'm so good. I'm so accomplished. Look what I did. Look what I said. Look what I wrote. Look what I, you know, and, 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 and you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's easy because in a lot of ways we're just average. Let's see. Let's see how proud this crowd is. You know, most ways we're just average. We're kind of ordinary people, you know. Uh, we don't maybe stick out in the crowd, you know. We're not, we're, we're just average. But all of us, have gifts that are above average, that are anointed, that produce some really awesome things. It's the other areas where we don't quite measure up that we should keep us humble when we do something that's, wow, this is, all, this is good. But what about all this stuff over here, all these other? See, sometimes we just have to stay balanced by recognizing that, you know, we have strengths and we have weaknesses. We have successes and we have failures. We have good qualities and we've all got flaws. It's the balance that'll save us. So never become too impressed with your own wisdom. And number two, the second thing that'll save us is this, never allowing ourselves to rest on the shifting sand of man's wisdom. Oh, well, I'm accomplished. I got degrees. I got this degree and that degree. And, the, you know, and, you know, a pastor's not good enough. You got to call me doctor now. And, you know, people put all these titles on their name and doctor, uncle, cousin, brother, evangelist, prophet. Man's wisdom is limited. 
I'm thankful for man's wisdom. It is incredible to me what God has filtered through man, the technology we have, the medical science we have. All this stuff is incredible. The science that we know now, the things we can see in outer space. I can't even see in the back of my closet. They're looking at things on other planets. Hundreds of light years. I don't even understand that. A light what? So all of that stuff is impressive, but realize it is just a fraction of what God knows. So we're all learning. We're all growing. We've got to stay humble. We can't get too impressed with ourselves. We've got to rest in God and trust in God and not lean on our own understanding and not be wise in our own eyes. And yes, it's all a delicate balance. And if you're out there after all of what you just heard thinking, Pastor, this sounds a lot easier said than done, then you're exactly right. It's a lot easier said than done. And all of us step out in pride sometimes. And all of us think more than we, we should of ourselves at moments. And all of us are pretty in, impressed with certain things that we do. So how can we stay safe? Well, it is exactly right that it's hard But the other half of verse 7 shows us exactly how to be safe. It says, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Did you get that? So we we don't want to be wise in our own eyes. We don't want to lean on our own understanding. We want to trust God and be humble before him. But but our flesh makes that impossible at moments. So we've got to do the second half of verse 7. We have to fear the Lord and depart from evil. If we want a blessed life, and that's what this series is that I'm doing here on Psalm 3. It's about a blessed life. If we want a blessed life, we cannot be wise in our own eyes. Instead, we need a healthy daily dose of humility to drown our outlandish pride. Why do we need that? Well, so that we can tap into God's perfect wisdom for our lives. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What I need every day is just humility. You know what? The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize I don't know. You know, it's almost like the closer you get to him and the longer you walk with him, you're like, Lord, I'm, I'm just, I feel like I'm just starting out here. We're walking with the Lord 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and and we're just scratching the surface. We're not going to know him until we see him face to face and we see him as he is, and then we'll know him and we'll be fully known, amen? But on this side of the cross, on this side of, uh, you know, death, we're just scratching the surface. So we need to stay humble, and sometimes that can be difficult. It's only the fear of the Lord that will allow us to exchange our limited understanding of all things for his unlimited understanding of all things. God knows everything, and Rick doesn't. God has all the answers, and Rick doesn't. Fill in your name. Feel free to fill in your own name. I see you out there going, that's right. We've known this for a long time, and it's good that you know now. There is a God, and we're not him. So we're growing and we're stretching and we're learning and we've got to stay humble. Why? So we can exchange our limited understanding for his unlimited understanding. It's amazing when God reveals something to to someone. Just, you know, one little thing, I think a George Washington Carver, he wanted God to reveal something to him. He goes, God said, how about I show you what's in a peanut? Anybody know this story about George Washington Carver? Let me show you what's in a peanut. And from that, he developed all kinds of things, plastics and all these things. God just showed him one, a peanut. Yeah. 
I want to know the great mysteries of the universe. Hey, Leonardo, let's start off with a peanut. Um, probably would be a piece of dirt with me. Let me show you what's in dirt. But when God reveals something to us, when God opens up our eyes, when God opens up our understanding, it'll change us forever. So we've got to exchange our limited for his unlimited. This is what the text, this is why the text is so blunt. It just says, fear the Lord. You want a blessed life? You, you want to live under the favor of God? You want to be delivered from your own pride? You want to not lean on your own understanding and be wise in your own eyes? Then fear the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? We're going to look at three Proverbs tonight to help us understand the fear of the Lord. Then I'm going to define it for you very simply. Number one, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, knowledge is different than wisdom. Knowledge is having the true understanding of the facts. There are people who have a lot of understanding and know the facts, but don't have any wisdom. We're going we're gonna to get a little deeper in this, but understand, knowledge is different than wisdom. Well, I know a lot of stuff, and I memorized a lot of things, and I wrote them down in the test, and I got a good grade. You might have knowledge, but you ever notice some of those people who come out of the academic system with all the good grades don't accomplish anything in life, don't go anywhere? Why is that? Because knowledge in and of itself is insufficient. It needs to be brought into the realm of wisdom. Knowledge is different than wisdom. There are multiplied millions of people who know all the facts about various subjects and still know wisdom. Fearing the Lord will help us to gain a true understanding of the facts, and that's the starting place. We've got to understand the facts. In the beginning, amen, let's go back to Genesis. God created them male and female, amen? Whoa, we got some facts here. We've we got, we got to start with the facts, so facts are important, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We can't even begin to have knowledge until we, uh, we, we reject our own intellectual understanding and our own fleshly understanding, and we say, God, you teach me. Show me the facts, not my truth, the truth. Amen. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, that's different. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge in Proverbs 1.7, but in 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, the fear of the Lord doesn't end with us getting the facts. Oh, I know all my Bible stuff. I know all what God said. I got the facts. The fear of the Lord then lends itself to us in acquiring the invaluable asset of having wisdom, and wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. I know the facts, but now God's going to give me wisdom to apply the facts in such a way that they produce spiritual fruit and understanding and wisdom and freedom. Come on. There's a difference between knowing the facts and having wisdom. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. Proverbs 15, 33. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And now in Proverbs 15, 33, it says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Oh, there it is. Well, I want to be honored. I want to be successful. I want to be productive. We've got to humble ourselves. Well, I know the facts. Got to stay humble. Now I've got wisdom. Got to stay humble. 
Without that humility, all that stuff is not going to help. Amen. I know the facts. I know how to apply them, but I'm not humble, and nobody likes me, and nobody listens to me, and nobody wants to work with me. Did I hit a nerve? The fear of the Lord requires humility, staying humble. Over and over again, I'm going to say it tonight in this message. So we see what the fear of the Lord can do for us, just looking at three Proverbs tonight, but what is the definition of the fear of the Lord? Listen, the fear of the Lord is not dread or terror or us groveling before God like a little worm, just, th- you know, like, oh, I'm not worthy. The fear of the Lord is none of those things. God doesn't want us to grovel, to tremble before him, to be terrified of him. God wants to have relationship with us. He loves us. He doesn't want us to stand far away. He doesn't want us to, you know, hide. Uh, God wants to have relationships. So it's not dread or terror or groveling before the Lord. The fear of the Lord is awe, honor, and respect. You and I need to be in awe of God because of who he is. You and I need to honor God by listening to what he says and being humble enough to be obedient. You and I need to respect God and trust God. how he leads us, what he says to us, when he says yes, when he says no, that we trust him enough and we respect him enough to submit to that. You know, there are some people all excited about serving God until he says no to them. Well, I want this, no. And sometimes no is not right now. Sometimes no is never. There are certain things that we should never have. Well, I'm American, I want everything. If I can pay for it, I should be able to have it. It might destroy your soul. And God wouldn't allow us to have things that would destroy our soul. So some people will serve God until he says no, until he restrains them, until he disappoints them. And then I don't want to serve God anymore. Well, that's not the fear of the Lord. That's foolishness. That's us cutting off our nose despite our face. Why? Because we didn't get our way, so we cut ourselves off from the source of everything. Now we can't live a blessed life. Well, I was disappointed. Well, this, this person let me down, or I, I prayed and it didn't go my way, or I, I prayed for this and the person died anyway. And, and, and there's all of these things that we get upset, and, and, and then we're, we're angry at God and people walk away. The fear of the Lord is honoring him, respecting him, being in awe of him, that he's holy and perfect. He's the almighty maker of heaven and earth. He sees everything and knows everything, and we can trust him because he loves us. So we've got to fear the Lord. And I can't do an exhaustive study on that tonight, but we're scratching the surface here. Understand, God doesn't want you to grovel before him. He doesn't want you to come before him and tell him how rotten you are and how undeserving you are. He knows. But he loved us enough anyway to send Jesus his very best, amen? So we are worth something, amen? Believe it or not, with all our flaws and failures and mistakes, we're priceless to God. Hmm. One last instruction from verse 7, and we close down this message for tonight. This last instruction from verse 7 will help us to avoid the pitfall of being wise in our own eyes. Yes, we must fear the Lord. We've got to get that in us. We need to honor him and respect him and live in awe of him. But we also have to depart from evil. And that's an important part of the verse. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
Fear the Lord. We could stop there, but it's incomplete. And depart from evil. So we're understanding this fear of the Lord, and we're scratching the surface on that, and we get it. But we also have to depart from evil, and that's an important thing to understand. Why? Because we really can't live in awe of God and honor God and respect him if we continue in sin. You know, James Bond used to say he had a license to kill. Remember that? I'm James Bond. I've got a license to kill. And, and he was like, you know, he's this British spy, and, you know, the British, you know, commandeered him, to, and they gave him this, and he can just, you know, exact justice with his little sissy gun that he had there, that little stainless steel 380 could knock a squirrel over. And he's like, you know, I got a license to kill. And, you know, it really didn't. Because at the end of all of our lives, we're going to answer to God. Amen. But I, I tell that little, you know, thing to say this. Some Christians think because of grace that they got a license to sin. And just like bond, it ain't right. We don't have a license to sin. Well, I, I'm under grace. I'm forgiven. I, I'm redeemed. You know, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Once saved, always saved. I, I'm in. So now I can just live however I want, and I can bend God's law, and I can push the boundaries, and I can be half in and half out. And no, just as he didn't have a, a license to kill, he had an answer to God. We don't have a license to sin because we've got an answer to God. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says this, what shall we say then? The apostle Paul speaking to the Romans, he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer therein? So Paul's saying, you know, this is crazy. You think because there's grace, you can just do whatever you want. You can sin and it's under the blood and you're all good. Paul says, absolutely not. Certainly not. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? So I want to say something to the to the church to the body of christ the full gospel center to each one of you here to pastor rick tonight our license to sin has been revoked <laughs> amen god didn't save us so we can continue in sin jesus didn't die on the cross so we can continue in sin the savior the lamb didn't pour out all of his precious blood so you and i the body of christ could be in sin the license is revoked our only option now is holiness, to be overcomers, to allow the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ and to sanctify us, amen? We should be getting closer to him every day, more like him every day, more, more just enthralled with being his servant and doing his will than satisfying the lusts of our flesh. Now, if you're not there right now, that's okay, but the Holy Spirit wants to get you there. And listen, if you've been saved for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you're still struggling with the same sins and you haven't overcome anything, you need deliverance. And God wants to get you to the next level because he's do, he wants to do a sanctifying work in all of our lives. Now, I know that's not a popular opinion and a popular message, but it's God's truth. We've got to stop doing the things we know are wrong. I said, we've got to stop doing the things that we know are wrong. Well, I'm not sure if this is right. I'm not sure if this is wrong. I'm not sure. Listen, we're sure about enough things that if we start doing those things, 
our lives are going to fall into line. We're going to live a blessed life. We're going to have the favor of God on our lives. But you've got to stop doing the things we know are wrong. That's why verse 7 says, depart from evil. Refusing to stop doing the things we know are wrong will keep us from living a blessed life. And instead, they will provoke the resistance of God. James 4.17, and I close with this. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let's bow our heads tonight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Father, I pray as we close this study out tonight that all of us will have been challenged. Father, that all of us will be humble enough to allow the spotlight of the Holy Spirit to shine on every area of our lives where we need to allow you to tune us up. Father, help us to walk in humility. Help us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Help us to be pleasing in your sight by trusting in you and not leaning on our own understanding, not being wise in our own eyes, but in all things fully submitted to you, trusting you, walking in obedience, doing what we know we should do, and refusing to do the things we know we shouldn't. I pray that each of us would live the very blessed life that you have designed for us. And Father, even in the hard times and the ups, and the downs, we would carry our cross and we'd do it with joy. So someday we would fall into your arms and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Until then, let us walk in humility. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight.